word study tonight, so we're going to look at, I'm going to read all six passages real quick. You'll see the one term that's the same in all of them. We'll look at Luke 18 first, if you'll turn there. And as you're doing, just continue to pray for Eddie Davis as well. Uh, you know, he's very serious in his fight against cancer. And uh, so pray for Eddie and Jackie during a very, very difficult time in their lives also. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, and we're going to do this somewhat quickly and see if you can tell me what verse or phrase is the same. It will be, it will be mostly the same. The English sometimes changes things up. But. And he told them, Luke 18, 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1 and verse 16. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Galatians 6, 9. This has a little different phraseology of the same word, but you'll probably pick up on it. Galatians 6, 9. And the same different wording is in the last one in 2 Thessalonians. We're going to read. They both have a different English version of it. But Galatians 6 and verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Ephesians 3.13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And then lastly, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, which reads, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. You picked it up and it is what? What's the phrase? Yeah, don't lose heart. And now it's equal to Galatians 6, 9 and 2 Thessalonians 3, 13 say don't, don't grow weary. And it, it's a, they do it do, in English different, but it's the same Greek word, all six of them. Don't lose heart. Now stay with me because we're going to build it. The, the, when, you sound, when, it, when you hear the phrase, do not lose heart, it sounds like don't be discouraged. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Um, but that's not what it's referring to. In fact, if you look at, back at the Galatians passage, real quick again, Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not grow weary. Let's put our word in there. Don't lose heart at doing good. In due time, you'll reap if you don't give up. Now, there's that word. That word is the same in 2 Thessalonians. It means to lose heart, get frustrated, disappointed, disillusioned, all of those words. But that's not our word. To lose heart is not about those things so much as it is. It's a compound word that literally means don't give in to evil. It actually means, it has the word, the root word is evil. Wickedness. Um, so we're going to put that back. So here's what I found in all six of these verses. Don't lose heart. All six of them are always negative. Don't do it. 
All right? So you have, throughout the New Testament, it's used six times. Once in the Gospel, 18, and all five of the other ones, Paul uses them, and he uses them in a church context. So that's why I want to direct your attention to tonight, because it's easy as a Christian. Now picture this. you got Corinthians, Thessalonians, Ephesians, Galatians, right? You have these texts that are in church settings that are in the Roman Empire, and they are the vast minority. And everything about worship and everything about morality and everything going on in the culture is directly opposed to what they're living for and who they live for. And so let me tell you this. It's easy to, not only in the first century, fast forward 21st century, to become disillusioned or to be someone who fights and fights and fights against evil and you get tired of it and you kind of want to say, is this doing anything? How do I keep going? How do I keep fighting and standing against these things? Thus stand, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And you try to do that and it costs you and you suffer and it makes your life more difficult. That's exactly the kind of lifestyle that was going on in all these churches where they are told, do not lose heart. What I found out is that this verb is a two-sided coin because it often means don't give in to evil. But did you see how it's also used in Galatians 6, 9, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, 13? It also says this, and don't be weary in doing good. So this is what it means not to lose heart. Here's what happens. Every time that we give in to evil, compromise with it, tolerate it, we will start to lose heart. We'll find it much more difficult to stand for Jesus, to do what is right. But that's not the only one. He also says this, and in that condition where you're in a very negative society and everyone, quote unquote, seems to be standing against you, here's the other danger. See, this is one ditch on this side and there's another ditch on this side, and that is that you really don't think that you need to do good anymore. That you try, see, you stand against the evil and you try to do good, and both of them don't seem to get anywhere. You don't win. You're all, you run over. People walk over you, talk over you, and things are very difficult. And so here it is. Don't lose heart by either letting the evil in or not getting the good done at all. So my first question tonight for you is, um, I'm going to bring it maybe to myself. Um, which one is harder to keep from doing? Which one is more difficult? over the long haul, as a Christian in 21st century America. And wait, let me tell you what's going on. You know this. We are fighting against transgenderism, which is happening all the time. If you read, there's an article by Albert Moeller, who has what's called, he has a thing called the cultural commentary. And he was saying this today. Now, in Uvalde, Texas, they ha- this is brought up again Uh, guns rights. You know, do you have right to have a gun? Do you have the right to have certain kinds of guns? Shouldn't we have limits? Shouldn't there be background checks? So this whole thing is flared up. You know this is probably in the news, right? But here's what he said. He goes, here's the crazy thing in our culture today. Everyone's mad because you can get these crazy weapons that can kill people and only be 18 in some places to get them. Not everywhere. Sometimes it's 19, sometimes it's 21. But in some places, you can be 18 and get these high-powered weapons. And the argument is that that should never happen because you're not really an adult and you can't handle that kind of stuff when you're 18. But Albert Mollett says, isn't it crazy that the same people that are saying that 
are saying that when you're 11 and 12 years old, you should decide what gender you are and you can go through the gender surgery. And his article was, who is and who is not an adult? And he says, it depends on what your personal agenda is. So we have this going on in our culture, that you're too old, you're too, you're too young to get a gun, but you can be younger than that by far and change your sexuality. That's the culture in which we live. The school shootings, the economic recession, bad news. They said it's probably going to get over $6, maybe $7 a gallon in New Jersey. Political polarization, racial tension, COVID-19 pandemic that continues to go on and on, Roe v. Wade, Ukrainian war, legalizing of marijuana, gambling that has become in the sports realm, and now some states are functional casinos. So this is the world in which we live, right? So you have all this, and so you begin to think, I'm a Christian, so I got to tell people, oh, I'm against gambling and sports, I'm against abortion, and I'm against this, and I don't think, you know, have the guns, and I don't think people should be transitioning to another gender, and I don't think about, you know, the, I don't think you should be this. and do. So we have all these things you're standing against, and in all amidst all that, when you're trying to say no to all these things, you're trying to do good. Do good to people around you that you're going like, I have a hard time even agreeing with anything with you, but I'm supposed to do good, right? Which one's harder? Which one's the harder one to maintain? to keep standing against evil or trying to keep doing good in a culture like ours? Which one do you find to be more, most difficult and why? I got a mic for you. Anyone? Sandy. I spend time with the Lord every day. I want to do his will. So standing against evil is hard. I need to be aware of the influences from television and, and whatever influences I have from family that aren't saved. For me, what happens to me is I start to clam up. I'm not going to watch the news. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go out very much. I don't want to. I don't want to. I can. I, for okay. I mean, I'm speaking off the top of my head, and it's rambling. <laughs> Doing good. Continuing to do good can be where I have a hard time. It's easy to do it here at church, but I'm, I might stop doing it around me. Okay. Yes, stop doing it. Is it easy? It's easier to stay. This can be a bubble, can it? And so you come here, and you don't have to fight all the evil because we are not facing those issues inside these walls, Right? But you go outside these walls, it's different. But, you're gonna, but that's what Jesus said. Let, let them see your good works, right? And so you've got to get out there in culture to be able to do it. I, I caught you, Tim. I would say that it's probably, for me at least, harder to do good. And I go to the verse, uh, Romans uh, twelve twenty one: Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to go all English teacher on you. Be overcome with evil is a passive verb. It means the subject isn't actually doing any action. In order for us to do good, we have to, like you just said, get outside of our bubble and actually act. So it is very easy to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to shelter my family. I'm going to shelter myself. I'm going to shelter. Um, and so I'm not overcome. But to actually get over, get out there, 
um, to overcome the evil with good, you have to act. And I think that's harder. Thank you for taking the next part of my sermon. <laughs> Tim. Um, so trying to simplify this down to where I can sort of live it or at least keep it in mind was to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love others and to love enemies. But it's actually, to me, something that I try to focus on is to not, is to avoid the vain arguments because that's not the real problem. The real problem is they don't have Jesus. Mm. And if I get into their argument then I have less focus on Christ myself and I have, you know, possibly less opportunity to share that because people need the Lord. Amen. And then those other problems will start solving themselves. Amen. Amen. So i got, I got to tell you this story. So I'm, I preached a message a while back on storms and I told about the time the tornado hit my house. And I was telling all the details of that story about my sister and I were out on the porch. We were doing ice cream. There was a church function and how the boat was in our backyard and the thing came through the roof and all the disaster and destruction. And so Tim comes up to me after the service, dead serious. And he goes, I got a question to you about your story today. I go, what? He goes, what happened to the ice cream? (laughs) Only Tim could come up with that question. But the other one was better. The other one was better. (laughs) Australia has passed the Religious Discrimination Act. And they, in Canada, have or are seeking to pass a law that says, uh, uh, it's called conversion therapy, that you can't talk to someone about converting them to a different religious ideology because it will be a crime. In Australia, the Psychological Society published an article recently, and here's what they say about parents and their rights or lack thereof in having anything to do with what their children decide sexually what they want. And this is when they are still in elementary school. Therefore, it is important to consider how the treatment of young people is regulated. In particular, it will be important into the future for affirming treatment teams and gender centers to evaluate when legal action may be required if children are not receiving adequate parental support. In other words, it'll be the job of hospitals, educational institutions. They'll be to turn people in if their children want to switch genders and the parents aren't giving them adequate support. This may include hospitals advocating to courts for treatment if it is otherwise being refused by legal guardians. More broadly, it behooves all clinicians, psychologists, as mandated notifiers to consider when less than affirming approaches, either on the part of the clinician or the part of the family members, may constitute forms of neglect. So if your child wants to be a girl and wants to become a boy and you're not supporting them and helping them get it done, that's going to be considered criminal neglect. And make reports as needed to the relevant bodies to ensure that young people receive their affirming clinical care that they need. So for you opposing your own child having a transition surgery will become illegal. That's what's happening in our world today. And that's the world in which we live. 
that we have to say it's evil. We have to say it's wrong. And we have to continue, though, doing good. Um, There's a book called um, Convictional Civility. And when you first think about it, it's two words that seem ironically put together because they're oxymorons in the sense that they don't, you don't think of conviction and civility. And, and just know what I mean. Look on the internet and listen to social media um, and you'll find that there are usually two types of people. And I would say probably Christians too. You have the people who are the confrontational and I would say convictional people. And they believe things and they're going to tell you how it is and they would be so strong about what they believe, and they would probably lack a lot of civility. Um, they wouldn't be saying it respectfully too often. They would probably be so in your face a little bit about it. Um, so they have the conviction part, but they lack the civility. But then you flop it over on the other side, and you have people that are really all into the civility. I mean, they're very kind. They're very respectful. But at times, because perhaps their personality, um, uh, choices they're making, of course, that they're not as convictional as they should be and probably should say things a little straighter and more clear. Um, and so they're on that side. So you, don't, you, you get one or the other on, on social media, internet, and even when you listen to debates. Um, the Gospel Coalition has a series that's on number five right now about debates about cultural issues done by Christians. And the, and the thing about the debates that are great is the point of them are twofold. Not only to debate the issues are two people who are Christians who disagree on certain tangents or nuances of it, but they have gone about publicizing that this is how you disagree with people because in our culture we've lost it. Um, so this is what this, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart is don't stop fighting against evil and at the same time don't, Stop doing good. And you may disagree with people. We may all disagree with people. But we have to continue to do good and to be humble, to be civil, to be kind. So let me ask you this. How do we keep those two together? How do we practice convictional civility? How do we say, and and tell me, how do we say this is wrong, unequivocally a compromise, and, and, and perhaps at times even sinful and wicked. Might even say abomination in there. Right? How do we say that, but at the same time that we are still kind, respectful, charitable in our comments? How do we do that? Don't let your good be evil spoken of, Jesus said, right? So how, how do we keep them together? What do you think? How do, you, how do we accomplish that? wherever we are, in personal dialogue, on the internet, which I would encourage you, don't do any of that, but that's the other issue. But um, what do you think? How do we keep them together? So I'll, I'll ask you this. Let me put it to you another way, maybe easier to frame in your mind. If you are all convictional and you have no civility, what do you think it produces? Or you can take the other side if you want. What if you have all civility, but you don't have enough conviction? What does that produce? Take either side. Sandy, do you want to just keep this? Well, I'm going to start <laughs> no, you're awesome. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying speaking the truth in love. Yes. Is what it sounds like you're saying. So if you have all love, it's just kind of mamsy-pamsy, flimsy, 
there's no standing for Jesus Christ and 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 what God's word says. And if you have the you know just standing for the Bible and shaking it at people's fists and no love, people are going to reject you. They they don't want to hear what you have to say. Okay, speak the truth in love. That was very clear and concise. That's a good way of putting it. So we need both, right? So we need both. So when we talk about homosexual marriage, which isn't a reality, truthfully, but when we talk about that as an issue, we have to be able to say it's wrong. We have to say why it's wrong, right? But we have to respect people who are made in the image of God. And it's not about name-throwing and, and all that sort of thing, right? We have to stand true, though, right? We can't compromise on that. Um, there, and, and by the way, remember we said tonight, don't lose heart, Don't stop standing for truth. Let me tell you this. There is a wide swath in evangelical Christianity today that are now turning to having female preachers. There's a big group turning to think that LGBTQ is okay. And I could tell you authors um, and different Southern Baptists and other people that have gone to saying that they no longer hold the degree that homosexuality is wrong. There have been books written by well-known people that you would probably know their names that espouse that gay Christian is a real thing. So, so I don't, this is not just a few people that might be succumbing to some of these things. It is very, very much the pressure of today's culture to do these things is incredible. Let me read an article by Trex, Trevin Wax who says this about culture. This is good for us to know. He says, in American culture was largely positively received until about 1994. Then it was from 1994 for about the next two decades, it was considered neutral, that it wasn't as positive as before, but it wasn't completely negative. And in his estimation, he said from 2014 to, the, to today that culture's attitude toward Christianity has turned negative. And I, I, I say that so that you can understand, not because everyone's negative and not that there aren't pockets of things in conservative South that would probably still uphold traditional values. It's not like there's nobody out there. But by and large, it's starting to turn that way. And, and I'm, I'm preaching this message tonight, and, and I want to say in the right way, prophetically, because I want you to understand that for you and your children and the schools that we have in our culture and the things that you're doing, it is going to be more increasingly difficult to do these two things and to keep them together. To be able to say, this is wrong, this is evil, and I'm not letting it in, but at the same time, also do good in our culture to people around you, especially those that you might be considered your enemies. It's going to be a very difficult task to keep it together. And Trevin Wax closes with this. In our day and age, we will feel the, feel the full weight of culture, law, and government staring down our ethical community because we have a different sexual ethic than the culture around us. And I'm telling you, in the days to come, that we are in for a greater fight than ever before. And you surprise, let me tell you this, Australia and Canada are only the beginning and you can see the tide rising in America about where it's going. And let me tell you this, we need to get ready for it. I read an article, and, I, and one last thing, and I'll close. 
I read an article this week that said, what if we miss the lesson of the pandemic? And the article went on to say that you think the shutdown of America was a lot because of the pandemic. Just wait for the future shutdown. When they shut down churches, not because we're sick, because they think we're sick in a different way. And he said, you better get ready. He goes, you better have plans. <laughs> it made me think. You better have plans. What will your church do when they can't meet in the church anymore because they've taken your church? What will you do? How will you handle it? He goes, you better be ready because it may not be as far away as you think. And he said, listen, there's another shutdown coming. You know why? It's going to be harder and harder not to let the evil in so that your life can be better and easier to live. And it's going to be harder at the same time not to keep doing good. So to lose heart, to not lose heart is an admonition that couldn't be more relevant than it is today. How do you do that? I'm going to say in two minutes. Turn to 2 Corinthians, that passage. In chapter 4. It's a bracketed passage. To not lose heart is in verse 1 and verse 16. It's a bracket, and everything in between it is how you do it. I don't have time to develop it tonight. But in verses 1, 2, and 5, and 16 and 18 is this not but construction. And when you are living in a world where it's tempting to lose heart, here's why. Because you are in a culture that is completely in contrast to what you and what we are church is all about. And so we live in a culture where people are being blinded by the devil, verses 3 and 4. They don't believe the gospel. He says, and it's tempting even amongst missionary Christian preachers in his day to hide the truth and to kind of mix it with stuff so it doesn't seem so bad and more palatable to people. And he goes on and on. He goes, but we are persecuted but not forsaken. Not this, but this. Not this, but this. And here's what he wants to say. See, when you're facing this, it's going to be suffering and there's going to be difficulty and you're going to lose privileges and perhaps even more And he says, how do you handle that? He says this in verses 16 through 18, if you look there real quickly. And I'm just going to point them out for you, hoping you'll do your own study further on them. You have to keep the right focus. If I was going to tell you how do we face it, the first step I would say, you need perspective on what's taking place. And there's three perspective changes in this passage. And I'm going to just give them to you. Chapter 4 and verse 16 it has in here, not this, but this, in these, two, these three verses too. So here's our phrase. So we don't lose heart. First perspective change. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed every day. So here's the first one. Don't focus on outside. Focus on the inside. And notice he says, you need renewed day by day. You know how you keep from letting evil in and keep practicing good? You know how you do that? Every day. D-A-I-L-Y. That's how. Sandy was right. I get up and have the Bible every day. You know why? Because I'm going to, here's what I got. God, teach me to stand for what is right and to love what is, love people that are wrong. And so I got to do both. How do I renew? Every, almost every time that Bible verse or that word renewed is used in the New Testament, it's used of the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and changing the way you think. And we have to continue to let the Bible, not our ethnicity, not culture, not what's happening. Those things are not what frame our thinking. This Word does. That's how we think about issues in culture today and how we respond. So the first one is don't focus on the outside, focus on the inside. Second one, don't focus on the temporal, focus on the eternal. Verse 17 reads, For this light 
momentary affliction, temporal, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It means beyond what is beyond. It's a double word, meaning it's beyond whatever is beyond. It's way beyond my comprehension. Here's what he says. Don't focus on how much you have to give up and the suffering you're going to have because you stand up for right and do good and you hate evil. Here's what he says. Don't focus on the, what you're going to have, temporary losses, Focus on the eternal weight of glory. Keep your mind on what lasts forever. And don't worry if you have to give up things. You ever read Hebrews 10? Who said they gave up the plundering of their goods and their houses because they had a better, what? They had a better location. They had a better city. They had a better heaven. They had better possessions they were looking forward to. So don't focus on the outside. Focus on the inside. Don't focus on the temporal. Focus on the eternal. And lastly, Don't focus on the visible, focus on the invisible. Verse 18 reads, as we look, there's our word, focus, perspective. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen or unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen, not seen or unseen are eternal. Here's what he says. In the day in which we live, to keep the evil out and keep the good in. We have to keep our eyes on God. We have to keep our eyes on the invisible, what we cannot see. We cannot be moved, lose our joy, be in despair because everything around us looks so bad. We have to see God in it all. And it's not just positive thinking. It is a reality of every day seeing God and how control and sovereign that he is in all of these things. Folks, we need this. We need to not lose heart and we need to do it together. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us not to lose heart. It's so easy to want to give in, wave the white flag, throw in the towel. We keep standing up and we keep getting beat up. And we don't think we're making a difference or an, in, an impact in people's lives. But Father, help us never to forget there is no impact without contact. We can't be cloistered up in here. We need to get out there and talk to people about the differences and what they believe about things. We need to get into their lives and build bridges for the gospel. We have to have contact. That means we have to keep doing good. God, help us to do both. It's not either or, it's both and. Help us to do that individually. Help us to do that as a church, that we might be the salt and the light that you want us to be, that we might speak the truth in love, that we might hate what is evil, abhor what is evil, and cling to that which is good. Help us to be that kind of Christian. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.